in our in our bodies, in our hands, and our thoughts. Nothing ever restrains you, um, and for that we give such joyful and grateful thanks. Um, and that we can trust as we sing your word back to you this morning that nothing separates us because nothing restrains you. So not life, not death, not angels, nor demons, not anything else is ever going to separate us because you are the great God who looked at us with love and said, "Ah, you're worth it. And so I'm going to send my son um, so you can be with me for eternity. Father, we thank you that we can have confidence cross, especially that we can't have confidence in ourselves. God, this morning, um, we pray that you give us open hearts and open ears to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe. Uh, This morning, give us the humility and the grace to accept it. Give us the humility and the grace to see beyond this moment here, so as we leave here, we can be doers of your word and not just hearers. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. Happy Father's Day, everyone. It's good to see you today. Um, my name's Joe Davis. We're continuing with, my, uh, with our series on 2 Corinthians. And um, we got this supposed to come up or no? There we go. Okay. Um, I want to give you a little bit of warning ahead of time. Uh, when I get to the personal part of the sermon... We're going to go through the cultural, which used to be the historical. We're going to go through the spiritual, which we used to call theological. When we get to the personal part, there are some things in there I'm going to share with you that um, you guys know I like to try to be open and vulnerable uh, with you when I preach. And so with that in mind, I just want to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to say some things during that part that uh, might, I don't know, maybe rub some of you the wrong way. Because uh, I would never want to do that, right? Because that's not my style. <clears throat> but... Um, Today, the message is called Kingdom Resilience. We're continuing in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 11. We actually have a big chunk of scripture I'm going to read to you. It's uh, 16 through 31. <clears throat> Before I get, that, get to that, I want to kind of set up what we're talking about today. Serving a spiritual, a spiritual kingdom with relentless commitment and sacrifice is not a natural thing that we tend to do. Everything about us, even our Christianity, even our religion, works against us being resilient for for real kingdom work. And what causes one person to seem to have more kingdom resilience than another? And if others have more kingdom resilience than us, how can we get to the point where we're more resilient, more committed, dedicated to serving God's kingdom than just the surfacey kind of stuff that church people in America do? So with that in mind, let's read the passage Continuing with what's going on through here, let me just read it. Uh, Here's Paul speaking. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast just a little bit. He's being very sarcastic. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I'll go ahead and boast too. For you gladly bear with these fools when they boast, Being wise yourselves, he's being very sarcastic. I mean, it's, I love this part about Paul. I think it's his most godly trait right here, this sarcasm. (laughs) For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. He says, these are the things that you've come to, these people that are doing these things to you, you revere them, these false teachers, and you become fools for them even when they're trying to devour you. 
or make slaves of you with bad teaching or bad theology. They take advantage of you. They put on airs. In other words, they put on a fake front. Or they strike you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. In other words, he's saying, had I known it was that easy, had I known it was that easy to be your pastor, then I should have done it that way, but I was an idiot. But these people come in and they do this stuff and you fall in love with them. This is, what he's, this is the heart, right? This, this is a frustrated apostle. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and he says again, I'm speaking like I'm an idiot. I can't believe I have to do this. I can't believe I have to tell you why I'm superior to these false teachers. And I feel like an idiot that I have to brag, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? Remember one of the things they were saying was, if you really are Christians and you'll start worshiping in the, the temple and, and, and you know, worship Judaism, but that's important. And he says, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better servant of Christ. He goes, man, I'm talking like a madman. He's like, I can't believe I'm saying this stuff, but bear with me. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews themselves. Forty lashes less one. He was whipped five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipped. Three shipwrecks? He was shipwrecked three times going to these churches to care for them? A night and a day I was adrift at sea. What? This is Paul talking about the things he's gone through. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in the cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is, on top of all of that, he says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. On top of all this garbage that I go through to bring the gospel to people and to serve people like you, you're not the only church, Corinth. The center of Christianity does not rest upon your shoulders. There are dozens of churches and every day, every night, I'm full of anxiety, worrying about them because of people that are coming in like the ones you love now, these false teachers. Add to all my suffering this worry that I have for you as churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus who he, is blessed, who, uh, he who is blessed forever knows that I am not, not lying. And what he's saying is these people came in and they talk about all their successes. I'm bragging to you about my failures, my weakness, my struggles, my hardship, my trials. They never talk about those. You can see Paul's venting a little bit here. It's like some of y'all in y'all Facebook posts. <laughs> you know, especially the political ones. You know, you vent, you get going on it. So let's talk about the cultural side of this. It's a frustrated apostle. I mean, he is. He says the first thing, are you kidding me? Do I really have to do this? And Paul hates the fact that he has to play this stupid comparison game. 
He feels like a fool for having to do so. He is frustrated that he must recount all his sacrifices. He's afraid it would look like he's trying to glorify himself. But he feels like to combat these false teachers and their attacks, he has to play the game. I mean, are you kidding me, guys? Do I really have to do this? And the next part of the cultural side of it, he says, don't be foolish. The fools you listen to have taken advantage of you and your money. They give you these stories of serving, their stories of spirituality, their stories of godliness, and it's all a bunch of garbage. You have been suckered in by con artists. It's kind of like you are responding to an email from a Nigerian prince. And he says, if I had known it was that easy, I would have done it that way. But I was too weak for that. I was an idiot. Could have saved me lots of trouble had I just come in like a false teacher. I wouldn't have been hungry. I wouldn't have been starving. I wouldn't have been beaten. Could have gotten your money and your love. These guys that are suckering you are not in it to sacrifice. To be poured out as a drink offering as I am for you, which he said earlier. But they are in this church business for one thing, to enjoy, to acquire, and to succeed. Not to serve, not to suffer. And frankly, there is no comparison between the way I love you and the way they love you. And Paul makes it clear while he feels ridiculous having to list off all the things he has been through for the care and the sake of the gospel. He says, but in the areas that even that they claim expertise in, that they're Jewish experts. Let me tell you what a Jewish expert really is. I know way more than they do. Trust me. I used to make fun of kids like that in Jewish school. Come on, that was a good one, guys. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> I am more Jewish than they could ever dream of being. When it comes to serving, they don't even come close to measuring up. They claim to be apostles. Let me tell you what being an apostle is really about. What it looks like, how it feels. I am more, this is Paul talking about, I am more of a, service of, a servant of Christ. And by the way, I can't believe I'm talking like this. It goes against every fiber of my being. I am more of a servant of Christ than they could ever dream of. I have suffered for the gospel in prison. I've been beaten by Jews and by Rome. I take these dangerous, perilous trips on land, on donkey, on foot, on boats in the sea. I've been shipwrecked. One time the shipwreck was so bad we drifted at sea for a day and a half before we were picked up. I cross big rivers, go over mountains. I'm in danger at every term of being ambushed or betrayed by my own people. Add to that the fact that I'm constantly worrying about people like you. These details give us a little bit of background as to why Paul wrote earlier 
In this same letter, he writes this passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18. So we do not lose. I, I can't believe this guy. He's still, here's what he writes. With this in mind of everything he's going through. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. No one like a false teacher could ever write that and mean it. He says, my outward man is perishing every day. But I don't lose heart. Because my inner man, my soul is being renewed day by day for this light momentary, momentary affliction, shipwrecks, robbings, beatings, whippings. These light momentary, it wasn't like, oh man, my car's broken. That's not the type of momentary affliction he's talking about here. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen but the things which are unseen, for the things that we see are temporary or transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. This is why he was willing to go through this, because Paul had a keen sense and awareness of eternity. You see, kingdom work cannot be inspired and resilient when it's motivated by comfort or profit. This is what Paul is pointing out in comparing his service to that of false teachers. Talk about the spiritual side of this. What does God do? Here's why Paul was resilient. First of all, he was just a man, so let's not lose sight of that. I mean, it's easy to look at this and venerate him. Make him superhuman. But Paul's apostolic resilience was not because of him but the gift of faith and God's sovereign hand in his life. God had proven his sovereignty over and over again to Paul in the midst of his suffering. I mean, as God manifested himself while Paul was going through hardship, that was the source of Paul's courage and commitment. Let me explain. First of all, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You've heard that before. In James chapter 2 or cha chapter 1, 2 to 4, here's what James says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various degrees. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadiness. And let steadiness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All that Paul went through was used by God to make him an amazing apostle. The other part about this spiritual side is I want to talk a little bit about the sovereign persistence. Look at this verse in Romans 8, 28. Paul wrote this one, too. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called. And actually, in the Greek language, there's a word the in front of the called. Those who are the called <clears throat> according to his purpose. And what Paul says here is this. Whatever you go through is for your benefit, especially if God has given you the gift of faith and God has given you a calling for his purpose. See, the fact is, the reason that Paul was able to, just as a man, endure these things and still stay committed to churches like Corinth was because God had given him a calling and was working all things together to make him good at that calling. Because relentless... Resilient, sacrificial service is a result of the gospel, not 
religion. It's the result of God's sovereign grace filling you with the gift of faith. And somehow through all of this, Paul was able to power through it, stick with it, relentlessly serve, ridiculous, surprising sacrifice. And it was not because of who he was, but rather who God was in his life. His persistence, his resilience is a direct result of his sovereign calling from God. He understood that his perseverance and his sacrifice and his kingdom success was a result of one thing, the gift of faith. Which brings me to my favorite verse, passage in the whole Bible. Paul wrote this one. Don't worry, in a few weeks we're done with 2 Corinthians and we'll do 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. No more Paul for a while, okay? I promise. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Faith is a good. It's not a result of works so that no one can brag. This is why Paul hated even bragging about what he'd been through. For we are, get this now, watch this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you guys have heard me say, it can be translated, we trip over. It's like these good works that God prepares, he throws them in our path and we fall in front of them. Why was Paul able to plant all these churches even though he was shipwrecked five times? Because God prepared good works beforehand that he tripped over as part of his calling. Paul's relentless kingdom service was a direct result of the gift of faith and the work God had prepared for him. God prepared for him even while he was killing Christians. All right, so let's talk about the personal side of it. I want to talk about comfort versus resilience. That was the, uh, on our social media each week, we put up a, ser a sermon preview. You can tell how real kingdom service is by how comfortable you are. Now, church, this is the part where I'm going to stop preaching and kind of go to meddling just a little bit, all right? I've been thinking about this a lot this week. What was the difference between Paul and the false teachers? I think it was comfort level. I mean, besides the fact that they weren't Christians. Because without faith... Our kingdom focus can only be on the earthly comforts and benefits that being part of the church provides. And trust me, there are many benefits, earthly benefits of being part of God's church. The church can be a very attractive place, even for those without faith. Especially a church that's filled with people who are surprisingly generous, right? Right? The sweet, precious benefits of being a part of God's people is enough to keep some of us in tow for decades without really being a part of it. Did you hear what I said? You may not even realize it, but what might be sucking you into the church are all the benefits you get from it.
And at the moment it doesn't benefit you, sometimes people leave that church and go find another one that makes them comfortable again. This is the church in America. Paul brings up his record to show what real pastoral love looked like. It was ridiculous. It was stunning. It was surprising. I love you guys. I think after two shipwrecks, I'd be done. I'm just saying. If I'm adrift for five minutes, fine, I'm done. See, the false teachers of Corinth saw the benefits. But unlike Paul, they were committed based on a cost analysis. There was nothing surprisingly generous or sacrificial about their service to Corinth. It was calculated. It was well managed. Which brings me to my first point, which is risk management. You know what risk management is? You know, and part of one of my jobs, I do some, you know, uh, investing for people and I run some, you know, I run their money and I, and I try to make sure that I have good risk management when it comes to their finances. I identify the risk to their capital and I make sure that I assess it and analyze it. I try to reduce the risk. I try to transfer the risk to another party sometimes by selling and buying these things we call options. I try to control the risk. I want to make sure I do everything I can to protect the capital of the people that have entrusted me with their money. I want to make sure their money provides for them what they expect and try to take as much risk in the game as possible out of it. And risk management is a natural human instinct and it can be a good thing. But there's a difference between risk management for responsibility and risk management for personal preservation and comfort and achievement, especially when it comes to kingdom work. But unfortunately, this is how many people in America serve in their churches. We have become experts at serving Christ through cost analysis. And not necessarily just about our money. But what we do is we make sure that our kingdom work has defined parameters to make sure that we don't risk discomfort. We want to have our personal safety net in place when it comes to how we interact with God's people. If possible, we will try to avoid any undue inconvenience to our schedule our sleep patterns, our finance. We'll avoid inconvenience, let alone hardship and suffering. That's out of the question. We set our personal comfort boundaries, not allowing our sacrifice to infringe on the church benefits that we enjoy. Right? I mean, sometimes we do this subconsciously. We want to make sure the things that I get out of church are never put at risk for the things I put in. From what we give to how we serve our precious, busy schedules. For many people, we barely go past Sunday, if that. The whole picture, our time, our talent, our treasure, it's all very well managed. 
Look, I'm not saying that we have to suffer like Paul. I mean, honestly, if left to our own, most of the time it would never come to that anyway. We, we, we would pull the plug way before shipwrecks and beatings. But we can't pretend, we can't pretend to be kingdom, kingdom servants when protecting our own interests and comfort are more important than those around us. Don't pretend. Don't play church. So the next part about this idea is faith leads to calling, which leads to resilience. So I just kind of laid some serious bombs on you there. But here's what I want to share with you. Kingdom sacrifice without the gift of faith will always look like the false teachers in Corinth. It'll always be selfish. It'll always be managed. It'll always be deemed on a cost analysis basis. How busy you are, how comfortable you are financially, all those things. Often the reason people give up on their churches is because, it's because things become too intrusive, too uncomfortable, too inconvenient. But here's what I'm here to tell you. When God gives the gift of faith, he always also gives us a calling that inspires us to be resilient, faithful servants of the kingdom. I believe that. I believe that when God saves someone, he doesn't just forgive them for their sins. He transforms their heart, their life, and their values and gives them a new purpose that is better and different than the selfish old one. First Corinthians 15.10, Paul wrote this in the first letter he wrote. Look what he writes. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. In other words, it's not wasted. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the false teachers again. I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What Paul says is this. The work I do is not because I am such a good guy. It's because grace through faith transformed me and made me resilient because I had a calling. And that's what it's about, guys. And so my, my heart for you this morning is, is understanding this, that Scripture teaches us that resilient, surprising, sacrificial, generous commitment to a spiritual kingdom is the result of one thing. It's the result of the gift of faith. Because when God gave Paul faith, it came with a calling that inspired his supernatural resilience through the beatings and the shipwrecks and the cold and the hunger, and all of it. Because we know that faith creates a calling that results in resilient service. It's the inspiration that we need to invest precious time, treasure, and talents 
into a heavenly kingdom that otherwise would make no sense on a cost analysis basis to sacrifice for. Do you understand that? A spiritual kingdom makes no sense on a cost analysis, earthly basis to be involved in. Oh, I mean, you can be involved in it, but not really serve it because it's too costly unless you understand faith. It creates a resilient, courageous, sacrificial service, and it's not a natural thing. It's that kind of kingdom service that is born out of the gift of faith that will always persevere regardless of the circumstances, just as Paul did. Look, I'm not, just like when we were talking about giving, it is not my place to determine whether or not your service is resilient. Whether you're pursuing your calling, whether you're here on a cost analysis basis or not, that's not my job. I mean, it is if you ask me and you want me to give you your opinion, but I'm not going to do it from here. But I can, as your pastor, ask you to analyze. Am I serving God on a cost analysis basis? Is my comfort driving my choices and my decisions on how I serve, how I sacrifice, how I help others? Is my involvement in the kingdom centered around a personal safety net? Are there boundaries I have put in place? I know this. Paul was not a stupid guy. And he had none. No boundaries. Dad, we're just, we ask you to give us resilient faith. Help us to know our calling so that no matter what the circumstances, we will not be sidetracked. We will not be deterred. That we will serve you based upon an overwhelming sense of gratitude and not based upon a cost analysis equation.